0: Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Hello and welcome back to Coral Chihuahua. Let's hear the Monteverdi that sounds like Stanford jingle.
2: Monteverdi that sounds like Stanford.
0: We're both sitting here pu- pulling faces up. <laughs> oh, it's gorgeous. Mixolydian flattened sevenths, and from a piece where it's in the Dorian the whole way through. Ya-da-da. And then just to show you just how bitter he is, he brings in that hard major third. Um, so I'm sitting here with Eamon um, in a room at my house in York. He's up here to uh, to rehearse the university choir in his project again. Um, And we thought we'd just play you a few bits, really. We haven't got a particular theme um, to the episode. Here's simply some some odds and sods that uh, we thought you'd enjoy. Um, And what have you got on your menu
2: today? I've got two works, one by Vincenzo Bertoluzzi and the other by Henry Purcell. I've got Monteverdi, um, but I'm going to start with Rubra because we're only just past Holy
0: Week. And this is one of the Rubbra Tenebrae responses recorded by the sixteen. You did the whole set, didn't you? All the, the three sets of them. The three, that's right. Yeah. yeah, as you'd expect with Tenebrae services, this service, in which the candles on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday are gradually blown out during during the course of it. Rubra became a Catholic later in life. And this is part of a recording for a Leonardo project that Fagilini did a couple of years ago. Here's the text, should be very familiar words. Amicus meos osculi me tradidit senior. My friend betrayed me with the sign of a kiss. The one whom I kiss, that is he, hold him fast. That was the wicked token that he gave. He who by a kiss accomplished murder, wretch. He gave up the blood money and in the end hanged himself.
2: Cosmas, the first of Edmund Rubbra's second set of nocturnes for Tenebre, Opus 72, e Fagellini, conducted by my colleague Robert Holmuth. I don't often have Fagellini as a
0: choir like that. I think we had what SATB four to a part. It splits here and there. It's a different sort of game. Something we could talk about at some point. Very, very effective pieces have um, I, I, you sung them in concert was that a no
2: we only i've only done them in recording but i would love to do them in concert because they mm. would be they're very striking aren't they mm. harmonically daring i mean shades of poulenc in there there's it feels that there's a similar sort of i mean it's a similar sound world maybe that's just the the response to the text
0: i wonder when they come from because he became a catholic didn't he 1940s or so Yeah, 1947
2: uh he became a he became a catholic
0: I mean, can you imagine what 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 conductors listening must think? About, you know, could I do that in concert? But could you ever do that liturgically? Um, I mean, who who does who does um, tenebrae services at two o'clock in the morning with the candles going out? I, mean, I often think about you know Giswoldo writing his tenebrae responses, which are really difficult and virtuosic and very much one to a part pieces. Can you imagine them reading them off the part books at mm. two o'clock in the morning as the candles were? Ex-
2: extinguished. But were they performed liturgically? I mean, do we do we know? We don't know. Well, I don't know, all
0: I can say. The 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 musicological we uh, isn't is not appropriate here. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to go back to recording sometimes. That's what, four years old now or three years old that Leonardo one came out, where we tried to attach um pieces of music to a picture and that one, um, to the Last Supper. I remember Martin Kemp, the Leonardo specialist that we did the project with, talked about there being different versions of the Last Supper and you can see um, that in in one of the versions, um, Judas is leading right across with his roll to, to 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 dip it into the dish at that moment, and he talks about the sort of narrative of the story, and remembering that Leonardo says, you know, music's very good, but it's not as good as art because it doesn't last. You know, I think you know, music's better than art at times. It shows you narrative. You can have a beginning, middle, and an end, and I know you can do that in a painting. But um, I always thought music was better than art because or I I love it so much because it is ephemeral. It doesn't it doesn't last. It's not there permanently.
2: There's a wonderfully sort of bittersweet quality to that, isn't there? You can almost feel Judas's affection for Jesus in the in the sort of harmonic language. And then the bite is the twist of the betrayal. There's a real ache at the start of it.
0: Mm. Yeah, it really pulls that one. it's, It's something visceral about it. Look, let's not let's not hang around, let's go on to to your first choice. And this is Bertoluzzi, absolutely a composer I didn't know, but you did this series of recordings conducting the sixteen of either Polish composers or composers who were working in Poland, which is a very large country.
2: Yeah, a large country, but also quite a large number of Italian musicians who went and worked in Poland right at the start of the seventeenth century, or tail end of the of the sixteenth. Um there were over over a hundred Italian musicians who moved either to Krakow or to Warsaw to work as part of the uh, of the musical establishment there. Vincenzo Bertoluzzi was uh, born in Murano, just outside Venice. We think that he probably. I say there we go. There's that musicological we oui, yes. inappropriate. It is thought uh, that he probably studied in Venice uh, and then arrived in Krakow 1595. So he was in the vanguard of these uh, Italians. Uh, moving, moving to Poland to work there, didn't stay there for terribly long. Actually, moved on uh, to Denmark to the court of uh, Christian IV in, in Copenhagen, at about 1607. Um, but we know of him. He was he was an organist uh, working uh, in Krakow. But he published a collection uh, of motets for six to ten voices, published in 1601. Um, and this is one of the works. In that collection, Ego Flos Campi, it's a setting of Song of Songs text, which will be familiar to, to many of our audience. Um, I think it's a really, this, uh, yeah, not to have too many superlatives, but this is it's very striking. And I think this is a composer who is, he should be better known. I'm a flower of the field and the
0: lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. Sub umbra Ilius quem desideravem sedi. I sat down in the shadow of the man I longed for, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. A slightly problematic text, um, and I'm drawn to Hugh Keats' words that we were talking about in the uh, Le episode, similar setting of Song of Songs. That Sir Thomas Aquinas says that reading the scriptures literally uh, is only one of the four ways of, of reading them. That's beautiful. Um, so that reminds me of Lassus, Andrea Gabrielli. If he was working in, in Venice, he would. Well, Lassus' music was everywhere, and Gabrielli, the organist in Venice. At the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Lassus is the comparison, I think. It, he writes in that quite thick texture. This is a, a six voice piece two sopranos, two tenors, uh, and alto bass. A lot of close imitation that you can hear but i like the way that he uses the contrary motion as well you get one phrase that goes up and then the answering phrase just takes the uh the crotchet notation down in the opposite direction interesting just the way he plays with the texture dropping the bass voice out for a couple of bars here or there which suddenly just gives it this sort of slightly kind of levitating feel Mm. to it
0: There's a lovely easy sound to that, and that's partly because of the pitch you've done it at. um I'm I'm not going to guess whether it's at normal Renaissance clefs or the the set of Renaissance clefs that implies transposition down a fourth. um But whichever, whatever it started with, you found the right pitch for it. That it doesn't involve stress and high tension, which is something we were both listening to a recording of. Um, of the Clarks of Oxenford yesterday, um, we, we were wondering about putting in that uh, Tai Picavimus, which is a piece we both love. And um, David Wilson, of course, uh, was had this view that the music should be performed very, very high with trebles right at the top of their voice. But the trouble with Picavimus is it's got, it's got quite a lot of text in it. Mm-hmm. And while you can sing melismatically high up, it's very difficult to bring text through. And it, it just felt a bit uncomfortable in the end. But it has left us this legacy of a certain timbre of straight, quiet singing very high up and high tenors as well i remember is it mark the bell no it was one of, one of your other chaps that was uh from the 16 interviewed about the M- missa pape marcelli and saying i just i wish we didn't have to sing this piece because it's just so high for the tenors." well of course it, it should be transposed down and then it's at a more relaxed relaxed um relaxed pitch for people but hey there you go um we're going to stay with italian music um, to Monteverdi. So you say the Lassus, I mean, is there is there a known... I mean, there's almost no evidence of anything like that in the 16th century, is there? We think that both the Gabriellis studied with Lassus, um, but there's not much evidence for it. There's no correspondence between them. Um, but I suppose in the same way that Tompkins said he studied with Bird, um, does that mean he just looked at his pieces a lot and uh, yeah, studied I that way? I didn't know
2: that about the Gabriellis and Lassus. That's interesting. But... As you add more voices in Bertoluzzi's music, it becomes more and more akin to Lassus's writing, that sort of thick, you know, close-worked style. Another Song of song setting by Bertoluzzi, "Oscule et uh is in seven parts. And it's just, it's super exotic and very, very expressive. But it does make, yeah, it makes one think of Lassus.
0: Let's just clear the texture a little bit. Let's to just two voices. This is a Monteverdi work from 1619. This is in his book *Concerto*, which, or uh, well, the seventh book of madrigals which is the first thing he published when he went to Venice. Famously sacked uh, in 1612, uh, Monteverdi from his Mantuan job. Uh, although sacked, but they still had the right to call on him for commissions and things. And you read his letters; there are most of his letters from 16 sort of 15 on are, are reasons why he can't write them that commission at the moment and why he's so busy with this and that. And why was he sacked? A um, uh, new, new broom came in and uh, wanted new things. Can you ask me that question? I can't, rem- I can't remember. <laughs> um, um, Montevideo, of course, has been wanting to leave for a long time because he didn't particularly want to write operas. Uh, and he uh, w- said he had too much work and gets to Venice and is very happy about things. Uh, wrote, writes back to Strigio, uh, the son of the 40 part mass composer, who is um, a librettist but a, a sort of diplomat working from the court, and says, oh, it's, it's very good here in Venice, you know. They they pay me on time, or they pay me at all. And if uh, if I don't if I don't um, go and get the money, a man brings it round to me in a little bag. <laughs> I just thought it was rather sweet. But he published these um, sixty nine duets. Really, they didn't have court music in Venice in the same way. And so uh, outside his, so the big. Magicals of Love and War that he publishes at the end of his life, the Magicali Guerrieri Tamorosi that people like to do, are not Venetian. They're actually written for for Vienna, where they had a sort of group that had that kind of, uh, had a court that had that, that sort of layout. But the, the pieces in Concerto are for him uh, moonlighting, a um, uh, little organetto, theorbo, a couple of singers down the canal, um, um, half an hour's entertainment. They're beautiful pieces, and this one is based on the Romanesca bass. Now, the Romanesca bass goes like this, and the chords to it, which may start sounding quite familiar because. <speaking in the background> <speaking in the background> which pretty much proves that, it, that the Green Seas is not by Henry VIII because it's a, it's a later thing. Uh, anyway, if you slow that bass down and fill it, as Monteverdi does in this piece, you get a slightly more languorous and less rhythmically charged Romanesca. Uh, and in this setting of words by Bernardo Tasso, who was the father of the poet um, Torquato Tasso, He's just lamenting uh, lamenting distance. my friend Sylvia suggests that actually ben, because uh, Bernardo Tusso was a diplomat, constantly away from home, this is his little lament um, on on being away so much. but the the other interesting thing you notice about this is in dissonance, but we'll leave people to hear that for themselves. <laughs> Oh, I so love that piece. Theme and variations, really, um, which he does in the opening to Orfeo as well. The, the prologue to Orfeo is basically the same harmony, the same way through, but in five different verses. And That was Julia Doyle, Claire Wilkinson, and just as importantly, Eligio Quintero on Chitarone and Joy Smith on harp. What a lovely mix of sounds on the Chitarone harp.
2: What strikes me about that? I mean, I've listened to that recording many times, but I'm always just amazed at the, the pacing of it the flexibility within the the delivery of the there's there isn't always that sense of pulse but it's just so natural the way they deliver the text it feels although it's incredibly vocal there's a there's a real parlando quality to it
0: i think that was the, that was the holy grail great difficulty not saying. now that was the holy grail in in early 17th century performance sprezzatura that i think the best the best translation i've heard for sprezzatura is cool Um, Caccini talks about it um, a composer, singer at the time and he says it mustn't be affected you must find that natural delivery and he's referring to a concept from 100 years before about clothing, about how to be a good courtier, how about your whole behaviour mustn't be affected um, but should be very natural and what they're trying to get in in singing of this time is something close to speech, that's what the whole beginning of opera was about at the same time uh, something natural that allows the sort of human emotion to come through. And the interesting thing there, I suppose, is to what extent one can bend the tempo. And I always think you can always bend it, but you can't break it. If you bre- break the tempo so that the flow of the harmonic movement is stopped, then you've lost the point. But if you can just bend it so you're almost at that point, then that's lovely.
2: That passage, di tante dolie, such pain, the harmonic clashes, all the major and minor, is that actually, is that Monteverdi? Or how much of that is interpretive licence? Well, he only he only writes a bass line, doesn't write any accompaniment. Just occasionally he'll
0: put in a couple of figures. There are very few in this. The figures gives you the chord, at least theoretically it does. Sometimes it just tells you the note the singer is singing above, which doesn't necessarily imply you have to, to play it in your accompaniment. So all those, all those suspensions in the top part... They're all there. But the question is, what are they sounding against? And so conventional view would be this sort of thing. Um, The last one, for example. Nice minor chord. But whoever plays a a minor fifth chord at a cadence, it's always major fifth. Which gives you... um, And if you think, oh gosh, no, they would have avoided that dissonance. Well, there's plenty of Monteverdi five and six part music where he doesn't. He absolutely draws out. There's uh, the, um, the end of the Ballo dell'Ingrate by Monteverdi um, ends with this four uh, four soprano chorus. So he does both, and to get that pain it's nearly always the right way round according to the harmonic series so it really bites whereas talis and gombe and others like to to turn it the other way because they can
2: we're going to need a new jingle monteverdi that sounds like howls yeah
0: yeah Monteverdi that sounds like Howells. No, hang on, that is Howells. Well, Howells, of course, looking back to Tudor music yeah. and, and picking up on some of that, although in a lot of those editions, you know, the editor had carefully written this, this clash is written by the composer, but you shouldn't sing the full note there. You try, should try to avoid it.
2: But Hal's saying that he felt that he'd been born in the wrong, in the wrong century. And that he didn't necessarily believe in reincarnation. But if he did, he was absolutely sure that he'd lived in Tudor times.
0: The other thing about that recording is that it features Julia Donk. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. <laughs> Sorry, Jules. What I meant to say was that <laughs> um, that this recording features soprano Julia Doyle, uh, who makes this noise when you poke her. ha. <laughs>
2: Julia Donk she's gonna to have to she's gonna to have to change her name
0: uh, the the Julia Donk leader by Wagner
2: yes <laughs> a honk from the donk
0: Easter and Christmas always busy times for singers and conductors uh, you and I have actually been working together quite a bit recently which has been rather lovely um but you're busier than p- planned the week before last
2: yes uh indeed this uh Project came across my plate. In fact, I was in York when I got uh, when I got a phone call, uh, or an email rather, from my agent saying um, English National Opera on the phone asking whether you can come in to conduct uh, a concert performance of Haydn's Seven Last Words in Holy Week. Um, in, in a few days' time. Yeah, it was... Well, I, I had a couple of weeks' notice. Um, so Luxury. Was, yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's one of those things that, you know, it happens once in a blue moon. And fortunately, I was able to take it on because you very kindly rescheduled uh, a couple of rehearsals for the project that, we, that we've that we just been doing this last week. Um, And it was incredible. It was... I was aware of the piece. Uh, I remember looking at it some years ago, um, getting quite excited to, you know, to say that there was... I didn't, you know... Seven Last Words by Haydn. I thought, great. So I had a look at it and remember thinking that it didn't look like his you know, his best music. And so I put it to one side. Um, but of course, necessity being the uh, mother of invention, as they say, actually, once I'd actually sat and I had a proper look at it, there's much more to it. Um, interesting piece written. Uh, a, it was a commission from the Cathedral at Cadiz to be performed uh, in this subterranean chapel during Holy Week, when the these last seven sentences that Christ spoke uh, would be uh, read out and then uh, a priest would give a sort of 10 minute reflection on those pieces. And then Haydn was commissioned to write seven 10 minute pieces of reflective, slow music, uh, which would then give the congregation time to to reflect and process uh, on what what they would just heard. Um, Haydn said that he really struggled to write seven slow movements. Mm-hmm. Initially uh, conceived as a purely orchestral um, piece, Uh, he then wrote a a string quartet version of it, and then he when he was actually when he was travelling to London for the second time, he stopped in Passau and heard a performance of it, and the Kapellmeister there had put text to it. Haydn was really taken with this idea, uh, but he thought he could do better, so he set his uh, set his own text to it, and it was the first time that he collaborated with. uh, Consevitan, is it? Who wrote the uh, the yeah. text for uh, creation? That was the first time that they that they collaborated. The good thing about it having text is that you have to take it a little bit quicker. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really work in my opinion for the text if it's too slow and lugubrious. It needs to have a more sort of natural flow so that the text can be delivered in a, in a natural fashion. And that was it. So straight in. Um, it was a for me. It was a hugely fascinating but also positive massively positive experience but to hear that wonderful chorus and you know people say that the chorus of the jewel in the crown at eno um and quite rightly so but for them they were slightly out of their comfort zone in that it was a concert performance they were using scores there was no staging and and these guys are, are, are dramatic you know they're dramatic beings so we had to work to make the piece really vivid uh and, and vital and and i think I think we achieved that and then
0: out of that, uh, you came down to Hawkwood College last week and you and I spent the week uh, dressing up as sort of Inspector Clouseau in a sort of 1930s setting, which we can't say too much about because it's going to be released on Boxing Day, a new farcical film setting a carnival mask from uh, from the 1590s. Uh, your, your main memory of the week? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, uh, well, now, I'm not sure I can necessarily say that because uh, that would give too much away. Um Main memory of the week, actually, just what a joy it was to be back singing with Fagellini again. Because it is some time since I've actually managed to do that. Um, and to be back among friends and colleagues and singing the piece, which was the very first piece that I ever sang with Fag. Oh, was it? Yeah. Uh, that's, it was a weekend. I remember Friday evening, got the phone call from you saying that Matthew had gone ill. Uh, could I join Fagellini for a couple of concerts that weekend? I said, yeah. He said, great, I'll pick you up from Princess Risborough Station at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, and then you handed me the folder of music and you said, there's this piece in here called Il Gioco Uh It's this uh, Venetian magical. Uh, it's about a board game and we play the board game during the concert. And we always do it from memory. So see how much of this you can memorise by the time we get to Sherbourne. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a long way to it Sherbourne. It was a long way to Sherbourne. I think I pretty much had it memorised courtesy of um, Anna having a cassette with the with the piece on in her car, which we listened to on loop
0: but the variety of of jumping from one thing to another, I mean, we had a full camera crew there, about 10, 10 technical staff there getting this done because filming a farce, everything just has to be absolutely uh, just so. But doing that on one day, E&O the other day, then there'll be a 16 concert. And then this weekend, we've both been working on Morales for a new series on Hyperion of the complete Morales masses which we're about to record the first one of, I think, in a week's time, uh, splitting it. We're going to do uh, we're gonna do disc each, aren't we? We thought we'd do this first one together.
2: De Profundis, a male voice ensemble. It's really nice to work in that texture, even if just for a little while. I mean, I'm, personally, I miss the sopranos after a bit, but it is nice to hear these pieces at this low pitch.
0: Well, I, for me, the thing is the alto part, sung by tenors. Let's just say again on our alto in the Renaissance means... A high tenor part, um, or maybe it's a baritone who's got a few nicely integrated um, uh, alto notes, but t- to have that body of the sound in that part of the range is not something you hear when you're hearing it with an SATB choir. So, that, and that's the reason de Profundis was was set up um, to, to not just to exclude sopranos, not just to, to to have a male voice sound, but so that the voicing of a piece like that can just have a little bit more
2: integrity to it. I've got to say, I do enjoy the variety uh, that we have. Hmm. Many years ago, I was about 14 years old, sitting at the dinner table and just having dinner with my family. And my mum, apropos of absolutely nothing, suddenly put her knife and fork down and she just looked at me and she said, Eamon, I don't know what you're going to do with your life, but you are never going to hold down a job in an office. (laughs) Where did that come from? Lo and behold, she was right. Um, and maybe she was getting at the fact that I, I needed that variety in my life. Well, we can hear you singing now, I think, for the first time on Choral Chihuahua.
0: This is a bit of Purcell from the Indian Queen, one of those semi-operas by Purcell. It has a lot of spoken text in it. Uh, and this is from a 16 recording. When was this made? Ooh,
2: uh, 2015, I think oh, 2015, something. think. Maybe a little bit earlier than that, actually. Tell us what's going on. So this is uh, this is at the start of Act 3, um, so Indian Queen, all set in Mexico, with incursions from Peru. Um, Zempoala has fallen in love with Montezuma. Um, and in order to try and find some, uh, some relief, Zempoala visits the conjurer, Ismaran. Um, and he calls up the God of Dreams, but no help, no solace is found.
1: You'll twice, ten days whom to whom we daily
2: sacrifice pause
1: pause that world
2: The croaking of the toad in the caves that make a By the croaking of the toad in the caves that make a
1: bode.
2: Earthy done, Earthy dawn. That. Ah, ah, ah. Hands for breath with a swell fight
1: full, full, full of death.
2: I the crested adder's pride, I the crested adder's pride
1: that along the cliffs to glide.
2: By thy visit fierce and black, by the death's head on thy back, by the
1: twist, its slab placed for the god.
2: The hearts of gold and death, no breast,
1: no soul.
0: Sarah Sexton, Hugh Daniel and Joe Crouch playing out the end of You Twice, Ten Hundred Deities, sung by my colleague here, Eamon
2: Dugan, on another 16 recording. It's an extraordinary bit of writing, isn't it, there? The Continuo team also worth mentioning at the beginning. Alistair Ross on harpsichord and David Miller on Thiorbo, giving such a variety of colours there. In what Charles Burney described as the best piece of restative in our language. I mean, that's some statement, but actually, I think he's probably right earthy done, which we're going to be doing at um,
0: Stour Music. In fact, it's our final concert at Stour Music, uh, this music festival that the Della's or Alfred Della, the famous countertenor man who brought back counter singing out of the countertenor singing out of the back rows of cathedrals into the uh, concert world. Mark was telling me, actually, his son Mark, also a there's famous recording of them singing, sound the trumpet together, that um, that Alfred wasn't valued here at home to start with. He got most of his work abroad. Um, and he set up staff music um, between Ashford and Canterbury and Kent in the 1960s uh, and would bring some European specialists over, Gustav Leonhardt and others. Uh, and the festival has run on for 60, 60, uh, no, 60 years. That's right, it's the anniversary of this year, 60 years. And Mark handed the reins over to me a couple of years ago. Um, and to be in the same building that has just resonated for years with the sounds of Purcell... And through all the years of the early, <clears throat> through all the years of the early music um, uh, restoration, if you like, so Gustav Leonhardt and Della himself in the sixties, through to, or oh, your favourite performers in the 1980s, uh, Charles Daniels, Emma Kirkby. Um, interesting that when we think about some of those performers, we think about the sound. But if you talk to Emma, it's always about the text. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to Charles, it's all about the melody and ornamenting it you know six or seven different different times i mean charles daniels must be the recording producer's nightmare because you can't <laughs> join two of his phrases together they're far too interesting they're always being uh, ornamented differently and so we finished the, the festival with that this year with the local festival chorus and uh, professional players coming in and uh, and some lovely soloists what else have we got on in the festival Actually, an awful lot of artists who've never been there before. That's um, a great thing. Uh, we have um, the Dunedin Consort coming to do Aces and Galatea. Uh, we have Spiritato, haven't been before, the trumpet ensemble with the uh, Marian Consort coming to do um, uh, Inspiring Bach, music that inspired Bach, uh, an Arts Council-funded project, that one. Concerni Quartet doing uh, Mozart and Schubert, Musica Secreta doing their mother-sister-daughter programme. Uh, I, the, I think this thing about... Uh, that Laurie Strass and Deborah Roberts have done with that group is to make us aware of other Renaissance music sound worlds that we just had no idea of I mean you and I were just talking about the male voice sound what about the female choir yeah, sound yeah absolutely with stupendous female basses that's a that's a thing I mean what was in their tea um, we also have a bit of tango uh, and my opening thing I'm enjoying putting the uh, actually Rameau I have to mention Ramo, we're doing Ramo's castore Pollux the 1737 version which hasn't even been done in the UK before Um but what I do enjoy is just um, not just taking stuff off the shelf, but um, choosing, uh, putting together some things myself. So we're going we're to start with what I wanted to call Tudor Nights because of Boogie Nights, but I think it's just ended up with being Tudor Night. And we booked Fiery Consort, which is a Genesis thing, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it stemmed out of the the first cohort of Genesis 16. So they'll be there with Bill Lyons' City Music, which is. Uh, going to be almost three different ensembles we've got a vile ensemble, we've got a broken consort, that mixture of plucked and uh, and um, wind, wind and uh, and then um, also uh, double reeds, uh, booked a juggler, why not um, uh, which is reminding me of that Dan Norman's story when he came out of the or, uh, the um, auditions for Les Arts he was the first tenor in, an entire room of tenors, 9 o'clock in the morning goes in, sings, there's a silent comes out looks at all the other tenors and says, can you juggle? <laughs> <laughs> Walks off. Um, so yes, it'll be a full couple of weeks at the end of June. There's still tickets available. Stour music. Uh, just just um, look it up on your search engine of, engine of choice. So yeah, variety. Um, variety, lots to do, lots of different thing. And I suppose that the, the starting point for that conversation on the end of it was there was us doing this um, carnival mask, filming it last week. And we had to book someone to be a waiter who could pull faces, uh, and so I booked an ex um, uh, University of York singer, James Botcher. I thought he could he could do that that face that I need, and then lo and behold, he's there for both of us on Saturday and Sunday, performing Morales uh, as a tenor in De Profundis. Um, and you go back to variety, but here as a as a final play out today, we're going to go back to that CD we had in the first program of this new series uh, with Vox, the University of York uh, close harmony group. Um, in this project that was put together by Josh Medine, engineered, arranged by him, and Josh's arrangement of the Alison Goldfrapp and Will Gregory song "A and E," with the same James, who is an Olympic standard beatboxer, on it.
2: That was one of the other treats of last week, was having James give a small demonstration of his beatboxing skills after lunch one day. Absolutely breathtaking.
1: blue I'm amazed at you, the things you say that you don't do. Why don't you?
0: And the soloists there, Holly Gurney, Nicky Gaskin and Sylv Pybus in Josh Medine's not just arrangement, but whole production on this on this lovely album.
2: That sounds like it was something of a golden generation, having all those singers together and the good fortune to to not only have a great bunch of singers, but also this beatboxer as well. It's like the stars aligned.
0: Yeah, I don't know where James got it from. We should have him on, ask him about it. But um, it's a big thing in national youth, um, youth choir circles. They're into that. They've had of celebrity beatboxers in. Uh, that's pretty much it for today because Eamon and I need to get over to the music department. I've got a 24 rehearsal. He's taking University Choir. So we'll see you next time when we're talking to composer Cecilia McDowell.
2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.